praise Him, praise Him from the heavens, praise Him in the heights up above, praise Him, all of ye angels, praise Him, all of His heavenly saints join in singing this heavenly song all the saints join in all the saints join in shouting creation song all the saints join in all the saints join in singing this heavenly song all the saints join in all the saints join in shouting creation song
We're marching to Zion. Amen. Would you stand together to your feet and let's sing this hymn of our faith today. Sing strong as all the saints join in and sing praise to the Lord together today. Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Welcome to First Baptist Church this morning. It's good to have you here now that I have a voice. And uh, we're glad that you are here to worship with us. And if you are our guest, we're especially glad that you're here. And uh, in your worship guide, there is a connection card. We'd love for you to fill that out. We'll collect that towards the end of the worship service so that we can have a record of your attendance. And if you're our first-time guest, I'd love to uh, meet you. My wife and I will be at a back table just outside this door, and we would like to give you a copy of my book, The Privilege of Worship, uh, just for you visiting here as a gift from our church family to you, and we'd love to meet you as well. Well, today begins the week of prayer for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. Our North American Mission Board helps our Southern Baptist churches uh, do mission work throughout North America, and uh, that includes major cities and small places all throughout, disaster relief, all kinds of major ministries that take place through the North American Mission Board. And one of the things that our church has been very faithful in doing is praying for North American missions and also supporting North American missions through our financial gifts. In fact, uh, just this last week, um, Dr. Waylon Bailey, who is pastor at First Baptist Church Covington, gave me a call on behalf of the North American Mission Board thanking our church for being one of the very top giving churches in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And so I shared with Dr. Bailey that I'd be sure to pass that on to our church family. We want to keep that recognition because it's very important to support missions in North America and then at Christmas through the International Mission Board. So thank you, church family, for your faithfulness, and I hope that we will all give generously as we prepare for this offering. This week, you're receiving in your worship guide the week of prayer guide, so I hope that you'll take that with you and you will spend some time in prayer each day this week. There are also lots of things online that you can check out. AnnieArmstrong.com is full of all kind of information. Also, uh, the North American Mission Board's website also has lots of information about what they're doing so that you can know what we are doing as Southern Baptists in North America. And it's encouraging to see that. Next week, we'll have the offering envelope in your worship guide, but you can give it any time towards uh, this Easter offering, and you can also give online on our website. We want to begin uh, this week of prayer by going to the Lord in prayer for North American mission efforts throughout um, through our North American Mission Board. So if you're on the ground floor, if you would join me in kneeling uh, for this uh, need, and then those of you in the balcony are just welcome to join us in prayer. You may kneel in the aisles up there. Lord, we come before you on our knees this morning because posture is important when we are wanting to plead with you. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves by kneeling and lifting up these needs to you. Lord, so often when we think about missions, we think about the places far off. We think about great needs there. But, Lord, North America is an incredible, needy mission field. Lord, when we see the things that are happening just in our nation, let alone Canada, we see the things that need to be touched by you. Lord, we live in a day when right is called wrong and wrong is called right. Lord, the things we've seen even in recent weeks of um, 
approving infanticide and celebrating abortion. Lord, it breaks our hearts. And Lord, that's North America. Lord, we can relegate it to the East Coast or the West Coast. But Lord, these are our fellow Americans, fellow North Americans. And Lord, they're in need of your touch. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful to pray this week for those who are on the front lines of doing mission work in North America. Lord, those who are doing, who are missionaries, who are church planners. Lord, those who are used by you when disaster strikes somewhere, they mobilize and they spend time in these communities and they're able to interact with people. And we pray, Lord, that you would use those disasters to bring about great things for your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be generous in giving, that we would look beyond ourselves and we would see the needs that are beyond us and that all of us together would be able to support this in a major way. Lord, our goal is $16,000, and that sounds like a lot, but really when you put all of our families together, everybody giving something, it's really a pretty small amount. And so, Lord, help us to do great things for you through this offering that we might be able to see our missionaries and others doing great things for you. Lord, as we continue to worship this morning, we are lifting you up, and we want all of the saints to praise you. We thank you, Lord, for a great hymn that goes back 100, 200 years, like we're marching to Zion, that still is fresh and alive today. We thank you, God, that we can celebrate you with new songs and old songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And Lord, we want to lift you up in praise today. And Lord, as we do, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be free to move and speak to our hearts, Lord. Teach us from your word. Draw us closer to you. Point and glorify Jesus today, Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that when we leave this place, we will know that we've met with you and we'll be different because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For almost a hundred years, in big cities with a hundred skyscrapers and tiny towns with one stoplight, on college campuses and Native American reservations, in churches too many to count, hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls have made hundreds of thousands of life-changing decisions. Almost none of them knew her name. And yet, she was there. Annie Armstrong lived more than a hundred years ago. Only this one picture of her survives. History could have easily forgotten her. But Annie Armstrong is worth remembering. In the late 1800s, when most women had no voice, Annie was one of the first to speak up. First, for the urban poor in her hometown of Baltimore, and then for Southern Baptist missionaries around the world who desperately needed support. It was for these people that she helped start the National Women's Missionary Union. As its first executive leader, she gave women a platform in their local church and in ways that they'd never done before. These women helped focus Southern Baptist attention on the hurting and the lost, and the missionaries trying to reach them. 
And he wrote letters, 18,000 in just one year. And she traveled across America, encouraging missionaries and inspiring churches to pray, to give, and to act. She worked long hours, paid her own expenses, and refused to accept a salary. And in the darkest days of the Depression, right before she died, an offering was named after her. Today, the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering helps missionaries in the U.S. and Canada start new churches and meet needs through Compassion Ministries. Over the years, Southern Baptists have given more than $1 billion to that offering, and 100% of it, every penny, has gone straight to the mission field. There's still work left to do. The need is bigger than ever, and that's why even though she lived more than a century ago, and even though only one picture of her survives, Annie Armstrong's influence lives on. Because today in North America, just as it's been from the beginning, anywhere a missionary is sent, every time a new church is born, anytime someone gives to her offering so that a lost person might be found, Annie is there. I'm so thankful for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to give and to worship and to praise the King today. Amen? <laughs> Would you join us as we do that together? Let's praise the King together. Stand and let's sing.
Pray with me, please. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day when we can gather to worship and praise you. Help us to be attentive to your word through our pastor. Inspire the message you want us to hear. Bless and protect our ministerial staff and their families. You are the source of all blessings and all we have and all we owe to you. Help us to be mindful of this as we contribute our offering. May it be used to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell, the guilty pair bow down in prayer. God sent his son to win his errant child. and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless.
What's the greatest gift that you've ever received? Can I have it in mind? As I was thinking about that question, there were a couple that came to mind from childhood, but then I was like, well, what is in my adult years the best gift I've received? And I think the most meaningful gift is the numbered and signed Ron DiCiani print that hangs in my office now. Um, the print itself was not a gift. But the price I got for it was, um, I had been eyeing this particular print for some time at the Family Christian Store in Fort Worth, Texas, and it finally went on sale. And then Adrian Moore, who became Adrian Martin, was working at Family Christian Store, and she gave me every discount possible on top of the sale price to help me be able to get that print. Well, then I had secured the print that I liked so much, but... I couldn't afford to have it framed as a seminarian, so I stuck it in my closet in my dorm room. Rebecca and I got married. We stuck it in the closet in our apartment. And finally, when we were going to Forestburg Baptist Church, our first pastorate, Rebecca decided that she wanted to get that framed for my office. So she took it to a frame shop, and she walked in, and she said, I want this to be nice. And so she worked with the clerk there, laying it out and, and putting it out. And during their process of picking out all the things to go with it, the clerk said, you're serious about this, aren't you? And she said, yes, I am. And they're picking it out. Well, after they got it all laid out, the clerk said, well, that'll be this much money. And Rebecca went, oh. She'd never had anything framed before. <laughs> And so she, you know, it was a full-time pastor, but first-time pastor pays about like first-time teacher pay. And so she called our parents and got them to chip in on the gift a little bit. And that has become a centerpiece of my office now in Forestburg and then here 
I've seen it every day. I've walked in my office for 16 years in those two churches, and it's a daily reminder that I don't do this preaching thing alone and that if I ever do, I need to go home. And that's why it's a very memorable and special piece to me. What's the greatest gift you've ever received? Do you have it in mind? You might talk about that as a family at lunch today. But do you know Jesus gives believers a gift that is greater than anything anyone else could ever give us? And I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is the best gift freely offered to unbelievers, and we receive it, and then we become believers. But at the very moment we become believers, we also receive another gift, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is the first and greatest gift that we receive as believers. Our text this morning comes from two different parts of uh, two chapters of John's gospel. And both texts talk about the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15 through 31, and then John 16, 5 through 15. And so we're going to see today four reasons why the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift Jesus has given to believers. Now, as we come to this Bible passage, Jesus is still talking to his disciples following the Last Supper. He's still offering them encouragement for their troubled hearts. And so he tells them, hey, guys, I'm leaving you, and you should like that. Look at chapter 14, verse 28 through 31 to get this sense. He says, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father's greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Jesus says, cheer up. I'm leaving. Isn't that great? (laughs) And a little later, he adds that it's to their benefit that he leave them. Look over in chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. He says, now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Imagine the scene. The disciples are already troubled, and Jesus has told them to cheer up by trusting in him. And then he says, hey, I'm out of here, and you should be glad about that. Hang on a second. Jesus, you just told us that when we're troubled, we need to trust in you, but now you're telling us that you're leaving us? What's this all about? I mean, has anyone ever left you that you loved and you thought, man, I'm glad they're gone? I mean, we we generally are kind of heartbroken when our family members leave us, though some grandparents tell me the best lights of Christmas are taillights. But here Jesus says, I'm leaving you and you should be glad about that. I mean, that seems so strange. But did you see the reason that Jesus needs to go? It's right there in chapter 16, verse 7, where if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. And the counselor is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if Jesus doesn't leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. But wasn't having Jesus personally present better? 
I mean, they could see him. They could touch him. They could hear him. Isn't that more comforting? Isn't that better than the invisible Holy Spirit? Wouldn't it be better to have Jesus still here physically, visibly present with us? Well, think about that for a moment. Imagine if Jesus was still on earth and living in Jerusalem. And imagine with me that we have just as many Christians uh, if Jesus was living in Jerusalem. So about 2 billion Christians in the world today. And people, if you wanted to talk to Jesus, you'd have to travel to Jerusalem to have an audience with him and spend some time with him because he's not in heaven. There's no Holy Spirit. We can't pray to him. And so we have to go travel. So let's be generous and keep the math simple by giving 100 years for 2 billion people to have an audience with Jesus in Jerusalem. How much time would we get with Jesus? Well, there are 3,136,320,000 seconds in 100 years. If you divide that by 2 billion people, it comes down to about 1.5 seconds. And that's not taking into account other believers that would come to faith during that 100 years. And that's also not counting that you might die before you get your 1.5 seconds with Jesus. But that's a mathematical equation I don't want to figure out. So we might say, it would be great to have Jesus physically present, but it really wouldn't. We'd only get 1.5 seconds with him, and I timed it out. You can barely say, I love you, Jesus, in 1.5 seconds, much less let him pour into your life. And so that's why Jesus said, it's a good thing if I go away. When you see my taillights rising into the clouds, shout hallelujah, give each other a high five, because if I go, the Spirit can come. So why is the Holy Spirit so great? I mean, isn't the Holy Spirit like the weird uncle nobody talks about? I mean, he ain't the one that makes you do like crazy stuff. No. See, unfortunately, we sometimes treat the Holy Spirit like the unwanted gift you get at Christmas. You know the one. The one you take and put in the re-gifting closet for next year's white elephant party. Yeah, and that's what we do sometimes. The, the Spirit's like the theological re-gift, and we just like put it in the closet. And we're like, we don't want to mess with that. We'll let the Pentecostals and Assembly of God take that out of the closet and deal with it their own way. But if we do that, we're missing this great gift that Jesus has given us. And it'd be like throwing your wedding ring in your spouse's face. Why then is the Holy Spirit so great? Well, Jesus gives us at least four reasons in this passage. First, the gift of the Spirit is the greatest because the Holy Spirit comes to us. Back to chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. 
On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Does anyone remember when you first learned about prepositions? I remember that for some odd reason. Sometime in elementary school, I remember being given a list of about 50 prepositions to memorize. And that was difficult. And I don't remember if it was mom helping me this way or our teacher helping us this way, but I remember that you could learn prepositions, a bunch of them, by just thinking about an object and then talking about above, below, beside, behind, around, and all of that. And if you get, once you got those down, then you just memorize the others that you couldn't put there, like with and that kind of stuff. Well, I learned those prepositions, and you're thinking, thanks for the English lesson, Pastor. Now the second graders can pass their test tomorrow, but really, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with this. When I read this passage, I thought about prepositions, and I got excited about it. I know that's kind of nerdy, but I did. And as I read this passage and talked about the Holy Spirit coming to us, and it's all about the prepositions. He's going to come be with you. He's going to be in you. He's coming to you. He will come to him. Make our home with him. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That is great news. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is not aloof. The Holy Spirit is not something that just hovers around and gives you goosebumps. The Holy Spirit personally comes to you. He gets inside you and he's with you. But it's about to get even better because we learn who is the Spirit. And if you look back at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 14, Jesus says, verse 16, I'm going to ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And I want you to notice two words there, another counselor. The word we translate another means another of the same kind. Uh, the other night, Zach and I made cookies after supper, and uh, we, you know, get them out of the oven, and we ate one hot right then. And as uh, soon as we finished the first one, I said, do y'all want another? And I meant Another of the same kind. I didn't mean a vanilla wafer or an Oreo or a Baptist Bible school finger cookie. I meant another hot cookie like we just had. Well, that's what that word means. Another of the same kind. It's another of the same kind of. Then the next word is comforter. And your translation may have helper or advocate or counselor. The original word is parakletos. And we really don't have a good one word definition for that, we, we probably need all of our translations to capture what that word is about. The word means someone who is called in, but it's what they're called in to do that's really important. And so a parakletos might be called in to give witness in a person's court case. Or they might be a defense attorney, an advocate called in to plead the case of someone. Or a parakletos might have been an expert who was called in for, to give 
expert testimony about some difficult situation. Or a parakletos might have been an encourager who was called in to bring hope and courage to disheartened people. Whatever the case, a parakletos was called in to help in a time of trouble and need. So the Holy Spirit is a helper, a comforter, a counselor, an advocate, an expert, and more who is called in to help us. But he doesn't just come and go. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he, the Holy Spirit comes to you and sticks with you. It's almost like that preposition chart. The Holy Spirit comes to us to be with us. He gets in us. He goes with us. He's around us. He's beside us. He's everywhere. And he speaks to us. And he speaks for us. And that is just like Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit is another paraclos, another counselor, another of the same kind like Jesus. I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you another of the same kind. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are so much alike that in Romans 8 9, Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. In other places in the Bible, we read the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of God. That's because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one. So Jesus had to go away, but he didn't leave us as orphans. He was sending another just like himself. Jesus had been with them. The Holy Spirit was going to be in them. Jesus had spoken to their ears. The Spirit was going to speak to their hearts. They had felt the touch of Jesus' hand, but now they were going to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. At times they had been away from Jesus' presence, but now they were always going to have the Holy Spirit with them. In chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says that he gives us his peace. That is huge. The world offers a peace of escape. You get a peace by getting away from something. You make peace about war, we're going to get away from the war. We're going to denuclearize. That's peace from the world's perspective. You get away from something. But Jesus' peace is not an escaping peace. It is a conquering peace. It is a peace that you have in the midst of a troubling situation that passes all understanding. And the way that you have that peace like that is because the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells. Jesus' peace is independent of what's going on around us because his peace is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the gift of the Holy Spirit's good. But it's not just because he comes to us. Second, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift we believers get because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. You say, that's a good thing? It really is. Look at chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The first two verses there that I read, verses 8 and 9, are so power-packed. The word translated convict by most translations is one that comes to us from the legal field. It was used for cross-examination of a witness 
or a person on trial or even with an opponent in an argument. So it has the idea of cross-examining a person until they see and admit their errors and or you're bringing a person over to your side of the argument. So the word has both the idea of convict and convince. A cross-examination can convict a person of the crime he's committed, or it can convince him of the weakness of his own case or of his testimony. And I, I find it interesting that in cross-examination of a witness or when a witness is hostile, an attorney can ask leading questions. That's those, isn't it true that? You know, um, this gun belonged to the defendant, Correct. And this is the same gun that was used in the crime that was committed. Is that correct? It's leading these leading questions. Well, the Holy Spirit does the same kind of thing with us. He convicts us and he convinces us by leading us down a road so that we can see our sins. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of guilt in regards to sin and judgment because men do not believe in Jesus and judgment is coming. He says, isn't it true that you've committed sin? You don't believe in Jesus. Is that correct? And he leads us to realize our need for Jesus. He leads our, us to see who Jesus is, that what Jesus has done, guiding us to the point where we say, I believe. And the sin of unbelief prevents salvation. Therefore, that's the first sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of. And then once he convicts a person of that, he moves in to other areas of life. So while a pastor preaches or a, a Christian is sharing a, a gospel, the gospel presentation with someone or a lost person is reading a Bible in a hotel room provided by the Gideons or reading a tract that some Christian has given them, it's not the tract or the preacher or the Christian that's convincing and convicting that person to salvation. It is the Holy Spirit that is at work there. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing this spiritual work guiding them. So wouldn't you agree that it's a good thing that the Holy Spirit convicts a person of sin or unbelief? But the Holy Spirit also works in believers because there are those times when we set aside God and we disobey God and we fall into sin. And in those times, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to point out that sin. He leads us to see it as he exposes it. It can even be painful when he does, but it it's a good thing when he does. We need to have sin pointed out in our lives so we can confess it, repent of it, and turn from it just as we want our doctors to point out diseases that we need eradicated from our bodies. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, but he does something else. Third, the gift of the Spirit is greatest because the Holy Spirit convinces us of our Savior. In that same passage that we just read, once the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and we repent and believe, he also convinces us that Jesus is our Savior. The, the Spirit provides us with assurance of our faith. I love what it says in verse 11 there of chapter 16. He says, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. He makes a mess, doesn't he? He prowls around like a lion 
seeking someone he may devour. And he tempts us to sin. He messes with believers and unbelievers, but his day is coming. He stands condemned already. He's waiting the final conviction at the end of time when he will be rendered powerless and will be punished forever. The Holy Spirit reminds us of that fact. The Holy Spirit helps us be strong in our faith in Jesus as our Savior. In fact, the Holy Spirit's main job is to glorify Jesus. He's always pointed to Jesus. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He points to Jesus. He influences believers who perform God's work. And when great things happen, the Spirit points to Jesus. He empowers us to do the work that God's called us to do. And when things great happen, he points us to Jesus. He inspires our worship. And as we build a throne in worship, it's not the Holy Spirit who sits down. It's Jesus who sits down. And the Holy Spirit says, look, everybody. He glorifies Jesus. Therefore, he convinces us that Jesus is our Savior. He convinces us that Jesus is the one we trust, that Jesus is the one we worship. It's all about Jesus. And when, and then he keeps on doing even more. The Spirit doesn't just help us come to faith or stick to faith. He also helps us grow in the faith. And that's the fourth reason that this is such a great gift is that the Holy Spirit communicates the truth to us. Chapter 14, verses 25 and following, Jesus says, All this I've spoken while still with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then over in chapter 16, verse 12 and 13, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. We've noted several places in John's gospel as we've been journeying through this where the disciples, we jokingly called them the disciples because they just didn't get it. Jesus would say something, he'd do something, and they're just like, what? Well, that's because... You can only understand what you have a foundation for. And Jesus was laying the foundation during his time with them. When you started first grade, your teacher didn't say, boys and girls, uh, when, your, when your teacher said, boys and girls, we're now going to do math, your teacher didn't then turn around and write some PhD math equation on the board and fill up four chalkboards with this math equation. They wrote one simple equation. One plus one equals two. And you learned your addition facts. And you learned then subtraction. And then you worked on multiplication. And then you worked on division. And then you worked on algebra. And then you worked on geometry. And then you worked on trigonometry or calculus. Or some of you gave up before then. But it was layering on layer upon layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Because you can't jump right in to calculus. You've got to build up to it. When you started to learn to read, you didn't, you didn't walk into kindergarten and they put war and peace on your desk. You started small. You learned ABCs. You learned individual words, cat, dog. And then you got a little simple reader. My reader was called Pug. 
about a dog named Pug. See Pug? See Pug Run? Run, Pug, run. You had something like that. Y'all, Dick and Jane, Pug, something like that. It was simple. It was goofy, but it laid the foundation. And now you can go home this afternoon and read War and Peace. You can only understand that for which you have a foundation. And the disciples only knew Jesus with them. They couldn't imagine Jesus away from them. Jesus laid some amazing truths on them, but the disciples couldn't understand them all. But after they saw Jesus die on the cross, they connected some dots. After he rose from the dead, they really connected some dots. And when the Holy Spirit came, then he started leading them into truth. And all of a sudden, acorns that were planted in the gospel started growing to oaks in the epistles in the rest of the New Testament. And so you have Jesus saying the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul takes that and develops it into the righteousness of God in Romans. Or you have a statement like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And Paul takes that over in Corinthians and we're reminded to not focus on the outward or the earthly on and on it goes throughout the New Testament where something small that Jesus said is grown into something great. Jesus never said anything that wasn't expanded and the disciples, the apostles, never said anything that Jesus didn't first say. It all flows together. It all grows from one another. The Holy Spirit took the foundations that Jesus had taught and helped the disciples unpack the depths of God's mercies so the Spirit guides us then into three types of truth. The first is the, the truth of the person of Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has a name, and it is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit helps us see that truth. He also helps us see the truth in God's Word. We get to know the living truth, Jesus, in the written truth, God's Word, the Bible. And the Bible is truth without mixture of error. And the Holy Spirit works in people's lives like he did C.S. Lewis and Lee Strobel and countless others who set out to prove the Bible wrong. But the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And then they came to love and teach the Word. So he gives us the truth in the person of Jesus, truth in his Word, but also truth in his world. Do you realize that all truth is God's truth? So even when an atheistic scientist is doing an experiment and they discover some truth that is God allowing that to be discovered he put the laws there he put the cells together he put all of that truth there so it's all his truth so when it's uncovered it is the truth in his world and it all goes to him. The Holy Spirit communicates the truth to us. Jesus left us so he could dispatch the Holy Spirit to every person who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. And because Jesus did that, we get far more than 1.5 seconds with Jesus in 100 years. You can spend all the time you want to with him. And you get to talk to him. And you get to walk with them, and he teaches you, and he speaks to you, and he empowers you. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the greatest gift given to believers. We get him on the day we're born again, and we enjoy him every day of our lives. Like that print in my office, he is a constant reminder of Jesus' presence with us. A reminder to walk in his ways and a daily help to do so. It should be our daily prayer. Holy Spirit, continue 
to speak to me. Continue to fill me. Continue to guide me. Continue to be a wonderful gift that I keep discovering the depths of day by day by day. Let's pray together. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart. Cleanse every part. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Lord, for those who have yet to ever trust you as their Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, I pray that you breathe on them anew to convict and to convince that they need you as their Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, I pray you would breathe on us to empower us to do greater things for you, to be more faithful for you, and to turn certain areas of our life over to you. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that you would continue to renew it in us day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message by simply coming forward. It may be that you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or to come and unite with this church family. But be obedient to the Lord today as we stand and sing. Trust the Lord today.